You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. So good to be in church together. Thank you for joining us. My name's Cam. I'm one of the pastors here at CA Church, and we're just so glad to have you. And, uh, you know, there's so much good energy in the room, and yet, at the same time, I think all of us uh, can admit this week has been met with a lot of challenge, uh, both what's uh, maybe happening in your own personal lives, but especially what is happening uh, around the world right now, in particular what's happening in Israel and Palestine. And uh, man, it has just been so heartbreaking and challenging uh, to look at that situation and know how to respond. Uh, and I was reading an article this week that kind of helped, I think, give some words to what I was feeling. I wanted to share it with you this morning as a way of setting up a time uh, for us to pray together and pray for that situation. Uh, and so I, I'd like to share that with you now. Uh, last weekend, as you know, Hamas, a militant organization that currently has formed government in Gaza, launched a large-scale attack on southern, uh, southern Israel. And as of today, thousands have died and thousands more are wounded. The images that have been shared on our televisions and phones and social media feeds are horrifying. Gruesome and horrific acts of evil committed against uh, Israeli people, including children, women, and the elderly. The deadliest week uh, in the history of Israel since the Holocaust. And since then, Israel has responded in retributive acts of war, causing casualties on the Hamas side as well. Uh, and sadly, taking Palestinian lives in the process. Um, yesterday, uh, as we know, Israel issued a 24-hour warning uh, for the people of Gaza City to evacuate south. The UN and other organizations have said this is not enough time. Uh, this is incredibly challenging, and it's going to cause just great distress on those people. And this is an incredibly uh, complex situation. And at times, I think the moral fog is hard to wade through, isn't it? Anyone who's pastored a politically divided church like our own will know uh, how important it is to maintain balance when speaking about political matters. Uh, we get so used to presenting both sides of the issue, though, that coming down on one side seems like an obvious pastoral mistake. And I found that challenge myself. But when moral clarity is justified, sometimes it's necessary to do so. The challenge is anyone who condemns one side will quickly be greeted with the whataboutisms from the other side. What about this or what about that or what about the atrocity committed on the other side? And I think we can all agree the state of Israel hasn't always acted blamelessly in its conduct towards the Palestinian people, including today. We also want to acknowledge the frustration, the pain, the grief experienced by Palestinians, including Christian Palestinians. And in fact, there are many of them. And we want to take seriously Jesus' call to weep with those who weep. And this includes both sides who are mourning their dead, both past and present today. But the inevitable existence of, of wrongdoing on both sides doesn't always produce a moral flog, or fog. Sometimes the fog lifts when Russia invaded Ukraine, for instance. It was easily condemned by Christians. Uh, without hesitation, Hamas's attack on Israel is also a clear example of wrongdoing and can be firmly condemned. Christian discernment looks at both the nature of an action and its aims. 
If Hamas had simply just taken civilian hostages, the act itself would be evil, but the aim might arguably have had some military justification. Hostages have been exchanged in the past for Palestinian hostages, but Hamas didn't simply take hostages, did they? It was deliberately designed military operation with the aim of murdering citizens. Those citizens' victims weren't just collateral damage of a war, they were the targets. The, the civilians themselves were the targets. There's no biblical justification of this. We also see on the other side Israel doing acts of war that are cutting off uh, food and water and natural human resources. From the other side, this is also wrong. Some have shared the thought that resistance is justified when people are occupied, but characterizing acts like the ones we've seen as just simply resistance is wrong. This isn't how we weep with those who weep. And so today, as I pray, I have these things in mind. I desire to pray for both sides for different reasons. Pray for Israel, that they would act justly and righteously in their military response, doing all that is possible not to harm Palestinian civilians' lives. And yet also pray that Hamas, its leaders, its militants, would be defeated so that they can cause no more harm to civilians. I also pray for a better future where both nations can find peace, a path to peace, a way forward without oppression and without acts of terror. And so this is my heart this morning, and it's a little bit bolder than I've maybe been in the past on certain issues, but I think that certain moments call for us to call out that which is immoral. And I want to pray uh, now uh, regarding this situation and felt that all of these statements I've just made are helpful in informing this prayer uh, and so there wouldn't be confusion. And so if you join me in praying, I want to pray now. Heavenly Father, we come before you today regarding this war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. We ask today boldly that you would end this conflict quickly and with as little death and loss as possible. We pray for Israel that she would operate in ways that honor you and respond in ways that are aligned with your heart. We pray against Hamas in this situation, the swift defeat of their militants and leaders. We pray that you would bring new leadership into Palestine that would lead the people in ways that are moral, godly, and good. We do lift up to you both sides today who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We mourn with those who mourn today. We pray that your healing touch and continual comfort would cover each and every one. Jesus, you came to be a blessing to all nations. You came to bring grace and peace to the Jew and the Gentile. And so today we pray, Jesus, that you would bring restoration to Israel and Palestine. You would help them navigate their differences and chart a new way forward that more closely aligns with your heart. Finally, we pray that you will come back soon. I pray that you will come back soon, that you will put an end to war, to death, destruction, sadness, and heartbreak, and usher in the new world that you have promised, one without tears and pain and disease and sickness and sorrow and evil. Jesus, we invite you into this situation, and we ask that you would move. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer this morning, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. I find it very interesting in God's timing (laughs) that we find ourselves starting a new series in Abraham. We didn't just suddenly shift gears. Oh, wow, there's a war over there. We should, you know, do a series on Abraham. It just so happened that God, by his spirit, as he led our preaching team and our staff, that we felt that we should go back to the Old Testament and jump into an Old Testament story. And this one rose to the surface. And we decided to go in this direction. And last weekend at Mariner in Town Center and this weekend here at Rail City, we launch into a new series on Father Abraham. A figure who walked the earth 4,000 years ago. A man who all three major world religions claim as their founder. Judaism, Christianity, Islam are all Abrahamic religions, meaning their origin stories all include him at its foundations. And because of that, his story is a story that makes sense of our stories, even 4,000 years later. His story makes sense of our news feed this week, and you'll realize that as we go throughout the story of Abraham. Because as we'll learn in the future uh, weeks, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and those two sons led to two nations and two people groups that just so happen to still be fighting to this day. And so providentially, I would say, over the next few weeks, we'll be impacting Abraham's story. And as we do, I do pray it would bring some clarity to us as we navigate the complexities of the challenges today. Abraham's story isn't just helpful for us to understand history both in the past, but also in the present. But we as Christians, we also see Abraham as a spiritual ancestor. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. See, Paul, when he authored this, is telling us uh, as Christians that we're not just connected to the person of Jesus Christ, but to be a Christian is to be an heir to the promise of Abraham, a promise that we will read about today. And we are actually considered true children of Abraham, not by birth and blood, but by faith and trust. This is why Abraham is such an important figure, not just in Judaism and Islam, but also in Christianity. In fact, in the New Testament, the author of the book of Hebrews spends 19 verses telling us that if we want to know what faith looks like, we should look at Abraham and Sarah's example. He writes this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, jump ahead to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs. And heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And even by faith, 
Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands of the sea. And by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see, Hebrews goes on and on talking about the examples of faith of both Abraham and Sarah, that if we want to know what faith looks like, we look at them. They are exhibit A and B. And our hope is this, over the next eight weeks, as we follow this couple, that we will grow to be a people of faith and learn to follow Jesus more faithfully. And so, let us begin the story today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Honor God's word if you are willing uh, and able. Please stand. Uh, We're going to read God's word. It's the beginning of this story. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot, but Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abraham and uh, Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Issachar were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran, but Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children. Next slide. One day, Terah took his uh, took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his son uh, Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed to the land of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. God, thank you for your word this morning, and we do pray that it would be helpful for us to make sense of our world today, but also to have a grasp on our history. The very beginning of this story where you began to do a new thing once again, through Abraham and Sarah, and through their descendants. God, I pray by your spirit you would help us this morning to understand your word, and by your spirit you would help us to follow in their faith steps and therefore become faithful people and followers of you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Why is this story, this family, and these individuals important? It is because this story is the beginning of a story of new grace for humanity. This is the story of God giving human beings another chance. 
Before this story began to unfold in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we read story after story, generation after generation, rebelling against the living God, and God again and again and again offering new grace to humanity. We have a gracious God, a God of second chances. It reminded me of a story of uh, back in the day when I was young, my granddad, Frank, he would take me golfing. And we'd go to Kensington uh, Pitch and Putt, or we would go to Central Park, uh, and we would, he was teaching me how to golf. And especially when I was learning, he was incredibly gracious. Because if I was to just totally hit the ball, you know, to the left or the right, or miss it altogether, uh, or, or perhaps overshoot the hole, his response was always this. Have another, son. Have another. He'd grab a golf ball out of his pocket, throw it down under the thing, and let me take another shot. And even if I missed again, he'd say, oh, it's okay, have another. And he'd throw a ball. And he's just incredibly gracious with me time and time again. And so to this day, Dave and I sometimes will go uh, golfing at Kensington Pitch and Putt. And, uh, and I'll, I'll sometimes say to Dave, you know, if he messes up his shot, Dave, have another, right? And it was just this little reminder to me of, the grace of our God. This is actually a picture of me and my granddad and this is the last time we ever golfed together. Uh, and uh, by God's grace, it was really cool. Actually, a few months before he passed away, he just started showing up at our church, up at the Mariner campus and came to know Jesus, uh, which is something I'm so grateful for. But um, my granddad taught me something about the grace of God that I think comes out in this story is that we follow a God who time and time again says to us, have another. Have another. And in this story, this is God once again choosing to gift humanity with a second chance to give them new grace to have another. Christopher Wright in his book, The Mission of God, says this, the whole Bible can be portrayed as one very long answer to a very simple question. What can God do about sin and rebellion of the human race? Genesis 12 to 22 is God's long answer to the problem posed by the bleak narratives of Genesis 3 to 11. The call of Abram is the beginning of God's answer to the evil of human hearts, the strife of nations, and the groaning brokenness of his whole creation. How is this so? Well, you see, Abraham and Sarah are the new Adam and the new Eve. They are the new Adam and the new Eve. After generation and after generation, you can see this all through chapters 3 to 11, of people rejecting the living God, Abraham and Sarah say yes to the living God. Let me show this to you. Adam and Eve, our great-great-grandparents, were given life and breath and everything by God. They were given the gift of existence. They were given a land, the Garden of Eden, they were blessed by God. They were given a call to be fruitful and multiply. They were called to be stewards of the world, ruling and co-ruling alongside God in his good work to care for creation, to be a blessing. But we know that story the way it ended. Instead of being a blessing, they instead reject God and his plans, distrusting his ways, and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, believing the lie of self-sufficiency, that they could do life apart from God. And because of this, they are disconnected from him, him, the giver of life. They bring curse instead of blessing to the entire human race. And we can see the parallels now with this story. 
but also the differences. God chooses a new man and a new woman, Abram and Sarai, later come to be known as Abraham and Sarah. They are called into a land instead of out of it. He blesses them. He tells them they will be a great nation. He tells them that they will be fruitful and multiply, even though they are both very old and Sarah is barren. He tells them that those who are associated with them will be blessed and they will be a blessing to the world instead of a curse. You see, God is starting over again. This is grace upon grace. He is answering the problem of sin and rebellion. And he is undoing the curse of Genesis 3 to 11. There's something really interesting here is that they are meant to bring blessing instead of a curse. And God actually pronounces upon them five times blessing. And this is actually to to combat the five curses that were shared in Genesis 3 to 11. Let me show this to you. Uh, And we can put it up on the screen. So these five curses, the first one, cursed are you the snake. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed are you from the ground. The ground which Yahweh has cursed. Cursed is Canaan. You see, five times in chapters 3 to 11 does God curse, declare curse over the people. But suddenly in this text, what we see is that in God's promise and his statement to Abraham, he proclaims five times blessing. Look at this. What does he say? I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing, number two, to others and I will bless, number three, those who bless you and, and curse those who treat you with contempt and all families of the earth will be blessed through you. You see, God is in the process through Abraham and Sarah. He is undoing the curse. Instead of cursing humanity, he is going to bless humanity. And that blessing will come through this new family, this new, these new individuals, the new Adam and the new Eve. And it won't just be a blessing to them, and it won't just be a blessing to their descendants, but it will be a blessing to the entire world. This is why this couple is so significant. Outside of Genesis 12, we'd have no record of their existence, but because of their incredible, pivotal role in God's redemptive plan for the entire universe, they're highlighted in such a significant way. Why? Not just because a people group were blessed, but because the entire world would be blessed through them. We see later that through their son, and grandsons, and great-great-grandsons, and granddaughters along the way in the lineage, all the way heading up to Jesus, God brings into the world his one and only son, Jesus Christ. This is how he will bless not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Gentile meaning those who are not of Jewish blood and descent. The opening sentence of the New Testament is this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he begins. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah, the father of, and it goes on for a number of verses. And I'll spare you from that. Well, we can dig into it another time. It's actually quite a profound uh, lineage. But in verse 16, we see this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
See, God in his grace and mercy used Abraham and Sarah to bring about his good purposes in the world. It is through the line of Abraham that the Savior, the Savior of the world is born. The one who will forgive, the one who will rescue, the one who will redeem, the one who will restore all things, the one who can bring healing and wholeness to this broken and messed up world that we live in. But in order for God to do this incredible work of blessing, it would require them to have faith. Abraham and Sarah, in the pages of scripture, are, they're, they're, it's not just that God uses them, but they also willingly choose to follow him in faith. This is why they are examples of faith. They're, they're not just passive participants in God's you know, redemptive plan, but they willingly choose to follow in his footsteps. God calls them to do two things. He calls them to leave and go. To leave and go. Uh, in, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And go to the land that I will show you. This phrase in Hebrew is very unique. It's actually only spoken to Abraham and only said twice. Once here in the beginning of the story and once at the end of his story. It is literally translated as this. Get yourself going. Get yourself going. God calls him to get himself going, to leave his country, his relatives, his father's family. God is calling him to leave behind everything and go into the unknown. Look what it says this. He says, leave what you know and go into the land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him at this point what this land is. He says, I will show you what this land is. And so what God is calling Abraham to do is to get himself going, to leave and go from the known to the unknown. From the known to the unknown. God is calling him to, to have faith and trust and follow him from what is known to what is unknown. And we see this all throughout the scriptures, that we have a God who asks us when it comes to our faith to step out of what is known and into what is unknown, to follow him wherever he would lead. We see this pattern with Jesus. It comes up in uh, a number of different occasions, especially when he was calling his disciples. In Mark chapter 1, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, casting their nets into the lake. They were fishermen, right? So this is what they're used to. They're used to fishing. They're used to, uh, this is their day to day lives. And he says, come and follow me, and I will send you to be fishers of people. So God is calling them out of what they know, their day-to-day -day existence, what their livelihood, what was known to them into something that is unknown, this fishing of people. We see him do this also, uh, you know, just a few verses later when he calls James, the son of Zebedee. He's in his, net, he, in his boat preparing his nets. And he called him to follow him. We see this in Mark chapter 2. Jesus went out on the lakeshore again, taught the crowds. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in his tax collector's booth. This is his day-to-day -day existence. This is his li livelihood. But he says to them, says to, to Levi, Matthew, follow me. And be my disciple. And so Levi got up and followed him. In the same way that Jesus called Matthew Levi to come out of his tax collector's booth and follow him in the unknown. The same way he called 
the other disciples out of their fishing boats and out of their livelihoods to follow him. This is what God has done with Abraham in the very beginning. God is calling him to leave all that he knows and go into this unknown life in the land that we will come to know as Canaan. And if we are to be a people of faith, God will call us to do the same. He will call us out of what is comfortable and into what is uncomfortable. He will call us out of what we know into what is unknown. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we see it time and time again. And I remember, even for myself, when Rail City began. I was a youth pastor uh, for 10 years before this. Some of you didn't know that, but it's now lights are going off and things are making sense, as you've gotten to know me, right? Uh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, which is quite a long time to actually be a youth pastor. Uh, and uh, by, by the end of 10 years, I, I feel like I'd really figured out how this thing worked. I, you know, we had all of our rhythms in place, our conferences, our retreats. We invite this camp to come at this time. And everything was set. We had, you know, the way that we organize our nights and all this stuff. And it's not to suggest there was no room for improvement or a better way to do things. But at this point, I was very comfortable in the routine. I knew it inside and out. I knew how youth ministry worked. And, I, and, and, and it was going well. In many ways, our youth ministry, I've, I feel, was thriving, and, and things were awesome, and uh, people were coming to faith and coming to know Jesus, and it was just a really wonderful time in my life. And then I begin to hear this little whisper <laughs> from the Lord, just this thing that was bothering me, the, the fact that there just wasn't a very strong or, or potent uh, gospel presence in the city of Port Moody. It started bothering me, and I started asking God in prayer times, like, God, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> God, you, you got to send someone. God, you need to change things in the city of Port Moody. And as those things began to bother my heart, suddenly I began to realize that the things that were burdening me were actually the call that was before me. In fact, uh, one, one leader, Bill Wilson, from Metro World Child, he often says the need is the call. And I began to see a need, and that need became a call. But what it would mean is that God was calling me out of what was comfortable, what was known, what was, uh, you know, even thriving, to head into a land, to head into a ministry that was unknown. I had no idea how this thing was going to work out. I wasn't sure if it was just going to be me, Jessica, and, you know, Emmy, uh, right, worshiping here in Port Moody. I had no clue. But God was calling me to step out. And to step into faith. And if we are to be followers of Jesus, we have to be willing at times to follow the voice of God and to step into the unknown, into what he is calling us to do. This is why Abraham is such a great example of faith. Because we see his, his faith that actually leads him to take this action. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Corey Ten Boom puts it this way, Faith is like a radar that sees through the fog. The reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. It will require great faith for Abraham to follow God into the unknown and it won't be easy. But I love what Corey Ten Boom says, she says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. 
Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. In many ways, Yahweh was an unknown God to Abraham. But we know, but we know who God is, don't we? Because of the pages of scripture, we know what he has done. We've seen that he can be trusted. Therefore, we do not have to be afraid. And we can trust an unknown future to our known God. We sang earlier, do it again. I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. And I believe that I can see you do it again. We know from history. We know from the scriptures. We know from our experience who our God is. And this is why the words of Corey Ten Boom ring true. Faith is like a radar that helps us to see through the fog. The reality of things at a distance the human eye cannot see. Therefore, we do not have to be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We know who God is and so therefore we can trust him. And we see Abraham, the man of faith, decides to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight. And God calls us to do the same. And I'm grateful that he did. But because, because of this faith step, God will be able to bring about a blessing, not just to Abraham, not just to his descendants, but to the entire world. And I believe that God can do the same through you. And God can do the same through us as a church. If we willingly step out in faith, if we move forward in faith, God can do things that are unprecedented, unexpected, and miraculous. That when people see it, they will go, it, it's gotta be him. And so I'm grateful for the this introduction to the story of Abraham. I'm grateful for his faith steps and the example that it is for us. And at this point, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite up the ushers and the communion servers, and then we're going to come to the table. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the story of Abram and Sarai. I'm thankful, God, that you are a God of second chances. You're a God who has never given up on humanity, but time and time again, you have made a way. You've let us have another chance. I'm thankful for this story, which is the beginning of this great second chance that would actually bring about your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, if not for the faith of Abraham and Sarah, the lineage would not have led to you, but I'm grateful that they said yes to the call of God. I'm grateful that they stepped out in faith. And I pray now that by your Holy Spirit, God, you would help us to be people who do the same. That we would be people of faith and not fear. We would be people who walk by faith and not sight. That God, when you call, we would answer. That God, when you call us into the unknown, we would trust you. I thank you for this morning. I trust your providence that we're beginning this series in this tumultuous time in our current history. And I pray you would use it to transform us and challenge us and change us and grow faith in us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. 
you can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.